This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that's straight off the mean streets of parts unknown. Here is the captain. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are still sipping on a new beer from Highland Brewing Company in a beautiful can, by the way. This is called Trail Bound. It's a hazy, juicy ale with notes of citrus and soft melon that you are going to love. And the ABV is right in that sweet spot at 5.8% garage grade, four and a half bottle caps out of five. And let's give some praise and thanks to our good friends for helping us out. First up, a cheers to Geelong in Australia. And last but certainly not least, Captain, we have a double-fisted cheers that goes out to Lindsay and Josh listening all the way over in the Pacific Northwest. Everyone we just mentioned, they went to truecrimegarage.com and helped us fill up the fridge for this week. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run. Go to our website, why don't you? Truecrimegarage.com. Sign up on the mailing list. I'll send you some nice... Promo codes. And Colonel, that's enough of the beers. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. On yesterday's show, we covered and discussed the four knife or blade attacks all in the Little Rock, Arkansas area. Tragically, three of them resulting in the victim not surviving the attack. Now, after this fourth attack resulting in the third homicide in our case, 
Little Rock Police Department notified the public that they have reason to believe that the same individual has committed all of these attacks. Someone, a serial offender, a serial killer, is walking the streets of Little Rock at night, hunting humans under the cover of darkness. And because the identity of this man responsible is unknown, this will cause the media, the public, medical professionals, and even those in law enforcement to create a name for the killer. Well, you always got to give an idiot a fake name. So here is a list of the monikers that have been bandied about in this Little Rock case. You have the Little Rock serial killer. That seems fitting. You have the River City Ripper. This one, I guess, might be more attention grabbing, but not to pick at nits here. But traditionally, a ripper, yes, uses a knife or a bladed weapon in the attacks, but often will dissect a portion or mutilates the victim's bodies. And with somebody like Jack the Ripper, sometimes even removes an organ or two from the body for what purposes, well, until the killer is identified, we just don't know. One aspect of that ripping that I find intriguing is that sometimes, even when the killer is identified, we still never learn why he does this. The removing of an organ or organs, most times you can chalk that up to signature, and we'll get into some of that as it relates to this case, but that's like what we talked about with a killer like Charlie Brandt who removed the victim's hearts. Yeah, one sick SOB. But you'll find that the killer does not, sometimes does not tell us why he does this, and in some cases may not even know themselves why they remove a piece of the victim. Yeah, and like we've said before in the past, like we should give these killers more appropriate names, like instead of giving them these cool villain names. Like Little the, Rock Douche Canoe is who we are looking for. Yeah, well, I was thinking case. like String Bean Shithead. There you go. Because, you know, 6'3", and he's a thin 6'3". And while the River City Ripper has like a good ring to it, again, not to nitpick, but I don't think it, it fits because our killer here is simply carrying out what would appear to us to be these blitz attacks, like almost random running on the streets finding someone with a blitz attack, a blitzkrieg type attack, fast and furious, and then fleeing the area, not really ripping or removing anything from the victim. Now, when we're covering these cases, there's some cases that questions pop up. I get really excited to bring up these questions because I'm interested in what you think about some of these thoughts I have. But one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was when you see that footage of this killer, was there anything that sparked your criminal expert mind? The first thing that jumped off the page, and I may contradict some of this later, but the first thing that jumped off the page to me was the slender build and yes. the what I would say categorizes athleticism of the attacker, which was an indicator to me that we may be dealing with a younger offender. But before before we get into kind of trying to dissect the killer, if you will, I do have a couple more monikers, if, I, if you will allow me here, Captain. Oh, sorry. I jumped the gun. 
you're fine. Another moniker used in this case is Jack the Knife. So this comes from a wonderful publication, the AY Magazine, standing for About You Magazine. This is an Arkansas magazine covering everything that you can think of. Art, entertainment, food and drink, health, people, travel, home and garden. And killers. And murder mystery, yes. Uh, AY did what is, in my humble garage opinion, the best article on this week's subject entitled that article, Jack the knife. This Jack, the knife from a Y is an incredibly thorough and detailed look into this case. This is a case that has generated a lot of little online snippets, a lot of two and three minute online videos about the case, but really not much in the way of going in depth of what is known about this killer, what is known about the victims, what is known about the streets of Little Rock during 2020 and 2021 when these four attacks occurred. So two great and thorough reads. As far as I can tell, if people want to dive deeper themselves, check out Jack the Knife by AY Magazine, and also check out arjusticeproject.com, an article titled Little Rock's Serial Killer. Those are by far the two best. The AR Justice Project's article does cite the Jack the Knife story as a source. So looking at that Jack the Knife moniker, so you have the old song Mac the Knife, a famous song recorded by many artists, including the great Louis Armstrong, Bobby Darin, about a knife-wielding criminal. And you also have arguably the most infamous serial killer of all time, Jack the Ripper. So Janie Jones, who authored that great article for AY Mag, very cleverly titles it Jack the Knife. Still not as clever as Beanpole Shithead. Certainly not, but what would be pretty damn ironic if it turns out that this guy's name is Jack or some form thereof, Jackson or even the last name Jackson. Then you have the last of the monikers that I've seen being used in this case, uh, which is the one that we chose for these two titled these episodes, the little rock slasher, which seems to be the most commonly used as well as according to the attacks and the injuries as they are described, maybe the most fitting. So I, sorry to go that down that route there, captain, but I'm always fascinated by the names that come up that people come up with while they're looking for these monsters, because we don't have a face. We don't have a mugshot. We don't have a name to put to the killer until he is identified and apprehended. Yeah. So to get back to my question, um, anything that jumps out to you when you see this individual, just what I said about the physical build of the, the killer. So what we do have here in this case is following this fourth attack, the Little Rock Police Department, they announced to the public that the four stabbings, three of them fatal, in 2020 and 2021 are possibly connected and that the public should be on high alert while they continue, while law enforcement continue their search for a suspect. Right. So now what we have is this strong theory being presented to the public saying that we Little Rock Police Department have reason to believe after Marlon Franklin's murder, these attacks are all connected. 
police officially announcing that they had come to the conclusion that they were all likely committed by a singular offender. In this press release, law enforcement noted that all of the attacks had occurred in the early morning hours against strangers who were walking alone. And as a result, police patrols have been increased around the city of Little Rock. The person giving this warning in in probably the loudest and most notable fashion would be that of Little Rock Police Chief Humphrey, pronounced with an Humphrey. Sorry, I cannot help help it when I see <laughs> well, he that. He got, once got busy in a Burger King bathroom. There you go. So there's a video that's released. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. There is a video that's released to the public explaining the situation. In the video, and according to Chief Humphrey, in each case, pedestrians walking late at night or in the early morning hours were attacked at random. And he goes on to say, without compromising the investigation, we know these incidents occurred in the Midtown area. Humphrey said in his statement, those who were walking in the area were randomly attacked. Investigators are searching for a man six feet or taller with a slender build. Detectives also believe that the man is black based off of testimony from the survivor. Humphrey said that the police department has put ununiformed and plainclothes officers in that area of the attacks and and informed the residents, of course, about the threat. And in this public service announcement, in this warning to the public, that is when this case really kind of blows up nationwide, or at least on the internet and on social media. And this is when you start seeing images of the killer, what the captain is talking about there. And you asked me what stood out to me that I'm going to give you my very basic description of what I'm seeing. And we'll kind of get into maybe some of the psychological stuff here in a bit, but I kind of feel like given the slender nature of and slender build of this individual and how I don't want to say fast, because when, when you say fast, I, I picture like somebody running a great distance. This individual looks to be quick to me. Um, and slender and quick in my world usually means that we're talking about a younger person, a younger offender. This is certainly a tall bag of shit, piece of shit, black man, a tall black male. I see in the pictures, white shoes and black gloves, darker colored clothing, along with lighter color shoes and black gloves. Is there anything that jumps off of those jumps off the screen to you when you're thinking about who this person could be captain. Well, like I said, if age range, I'm starting at under 30, I'd probably lean more towards late teen. Like you said, athletic six, three bean pole. Wouldn't it be hard to identify this individual from blocks away. But like you said, his outfit to me, that is showing some sort of preparation going hunting at night. My question for law enforcement would be a couple things. Do we have any peeping Toms reported during this time period? Do we have any potential break-ins to cars reported at this time? Do we have any other eyewitnesses that saw an individual in this area around those times that match this description? And then the other thing though, too, is 
we're assuming that this, this individual is hunting by foot. Now, that could mean, one, they live in the area or close, or is it possible that they drive into the area? And that would make me wonder some things, too, because if I can go back and pull surveillance footage from those nights, pulling surveillance footage from gas stations or whatever to see what cars are pulling in, does the guy get there and go, oh, man, I'm running low on gas. I need to fill up with gas, mm-hmm. fill up with gas, park in a location because this is a level of sophistication because if I attack somebody and even if the cops come after me, I just have to make it back to my vehicle and make it back to my vehicle in a time that I'm a distance away from them. This is a lot easier to do on foot than you would think. Mm -hmm. I mean, when they talk about, like serial bank robbers, they normally do it on foot or do it on like bicycle. Home break-ins as well. Yeah. And so I would really, because it makes you wonder when you look at the victimology, does this person have some vendetta against the homeless or the less fortunate or... Is or this old white people, right? Yeah. That's that's the first two attacks here. They both right. um one one of the persons is described as homeless and the other is not. But there but if he if victim number one is out wandering the streets and maybe there's some other issues going on with victim one, he may appear to be homeless to the attacker. Given the time of night, I mean, these are early morning attacks. And when we talk about that, we talked about the the time frame and when this all took place. And I wanted to see if there was any type of significance of the days that the individuals were being attacked. And there does not appear to be. So August 24th of 2020 was a Monday. September 23rd was a Wednesday. And then February, I'm sorry, April 11 of 2021, when the third attack took place was a Sunday. Now, I am of the belief that the fourth attack only took place within 27 hours of the third attack because the killer was unsuccessful in what it was that he wanted to do in the third attack. So unfortunately, none of these victims may have been targeted other than they were out on the streets and he found them. But victim number four, very unfortunate, could just be collateral damage that he was unsuccessful the night before. Which again, then goes to this idea of why. Yeah. You know, and, and we've seen this though too, where these guys have these mental issues going on and they have this urge to attack, they have an urge to kill. And maybe it's just simply if I go to an area and I attack individuals that are homeless or are struggling on, on some level, less people that, that miss those people. Um, that's not what I want to say. No, that's, I, I think, so not to cut you off here, Captain, but cutting in, 
is the colonel. You know, AY Magazine said this in regard to when we talk about the victims, and I'll quote them directly. It says, analyzing the murders includes looking at the victimology. On the surface, the only thing the victims had in common was being in the same area in the wee morning hours. Does the offender live or work in the community? He seems familiar with the territory. Otherwise, how has he gotten through the police dragnet? What kind of job would allow a person to be out and about in the middle of the night without attracting attention? What is his motive? Does he do it for kicks or to make himself feel powerful? Does he live alone? If not, does a roommate or family member know or at least suspect something is amiss? And I know you're kind of circling around and vulturing around the what could be the motive here, Captain. And I'm sure some people are going, hey, these are random attacks. What does it matter? But it does matter because what we do know about serial offenders, serial killers in particular, and this comes from decades of study by psychiatric professionals and law enforcement officials and those working in behavioral science fields, what we've learned in those decades of study is that there is always an understandable motive for murder. Cops and people of science may disagree on what the motive is and why it evolves, but make no mistake about it, there is always motive for murder. Yeah, and I think I think it matters a lot on whether this individual is coming to this area to hunt or yes. they live in the area to hunt because you could make an argument. Now, I'm not saying that this is the motive, but this could be the motive that the killer has built into their mind of I live in this area and these individuals are scum and they're pulling down the neighborhood and they're making where I live less valuable. You see what I'm saying? We've said it a hundred times on the show and we're going to say it a hundred times more. Vehicles are always easier for police to locate than a person, especially if they can get a vehicle on surveillance footage, they've almost caught you 100% in their trap. So what I'm concerned about, and you ask the question, what we know is not happening here is in the wee hours, I'm guessing in Little Rock, I can only base this off of what we experience here in Columbus, Ohio, but public transit shuts down at some point. I don't believe the Little Rock slasher is taking an Uber to and from these attacks or a Lyft for that matter. So what? What my suspicions would be is if they have already gone to the extent and pat them on the back for doing so, because I don't think that enough agencies are so quick to do this. Sometimes they're doing it weeks later and they've already lost the opportunity. But we know that in at least one of the attacks, they did recover camera footage of the attacker. So I'm assuming that that means that they fanned out and they were looking for additional footage of this person. And if so, what we don't have is anybody via camera footage or eyewitness saying, I saw a guy matching the description, clothing and physical build getting into this vehicle, passenger side, back seat, 
you know, may have a driver or gets in and it drives the vehicle away themselves. We don't have that information. And I think that if there was that, I think that if it existed in this investigation, police would have included that with their warning and their uh, public service announcement that they made to the good people of Little Rock. And so what that makes me wonder here, Captain, and speculate is that with no public transit going on at that time, at the hour of these attacks, and nobody, no witnesses with a vehicle or surveillance camera footage of a vehicle, I'm really starting to think this dude is on foot. And the thing that makes me believe that is you can be much more stealth-like on foot than you can in a vehicle. In a vehicle, you are required to stay to the streets yes here this guy dressed in dark clothes could easily slip into the backyards of these neighborhoods and move more stealth like in the backyards of these neighborhoods and get back to his home base no i agree and the only thing i'm saying though is i think there's a good possibility that this killer is going into that area and parking so again same scenario he has to be stealth like and he has to get back to his home base the only difference is his home base is possibly miles away parked and then once he can get into his vehicle and he's safe that he can then drive off slip into the night but i'd also go with law enforcement okay how hard is it to start rounding up hey do you know any black male that's slender and above six foot tall and start questioning everybody in that area that matches that basic description. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
All right, we are back. I'm back. He's back. You're back. Wait. Glad to be back. Hold on. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting for old Stacy. Okay, Stacy's back. All right. There's a listener out there right now named Stacy freaking out. How did they know? Cheers to Stacy and to all the people <laughs> in the back. Yeah. I do want to circle back to the public service announcement from Chief Keith Humphrey of Little Rock PD. So in that recorded statement, and you can find the versions of this online, in that recorded statement, he states that the victims are chosen at random. I don't think that they can 100% conclude that to be an absolute fact. He does say, and this is some area for optimism as far as solving this case, he does say that the FBI is helping police investigate this case, says that the behavioral science, the behavioral analysis unit has provided some assistance to the Little Rock Police Department. And he goes on to say, quote, let me be clear. We will do everything possible to arrest this suspect and protect our city. And the department is offering a $20,000 reward for information that leads to an arrest in this case. And we have the FBI who's involved. And as stated, the behavioral analysis team is reported to have made a profile of the killer. Now, I love the old days, man. I love the old days, Captain, when the FBI came in and gave a profile of the killer. They would release that to the public. Yes, please do. You could read a large portion of the profile in the newspaper or see it online, uh, find it a, a, a bunch of different ways. It seems to be that the current day strategy, one that I don't totally agree with. Because it's shit. I think you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. But it seems that the current day strategy is, oh, let's create a profile and then we don't release it. We we give it, we provide it to law enforcement, but we don't want to tip our cap to the suspect and show our hand here of who it is that we think that we're looking for. Right. And And here's my problem with it, though. Our, our tax dollars go to these agencies and with that profile, there could be something that sticks out that makes an individual call on somebody that they might've not been suspect of prior to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it should be released. If that information is going to law enforcement that the FBI, look, if the FBI gives it to law enforcement and law enforcement says, we're not going to release this, but the FBI believes that this profile could really help, then the FBI should supersede them, right? Mm-hmm. And the FBI should go, well, that's great that you're not going to release it, but we are. Because I just would hold more weight. Look, and and if the FBI says, hey, on this case, we're letting law enforcement, you know, pick and they're choosing not to release the profile, and that's fine. We're not going to. But I bet there's a bunch of cases that after the FBI gives that profile and it's not released to the public, the FBI is probably punching their desk and going, why aren't they releasing this? This could really help drum up some 
leads. Yeah. So here's here's where my mind goes with with this idea, right? I don't know that you gain a whole lot from releasing the profile in its entirety. The other thing, though, too, is I also question why you wouldn't release portions of it. Yeah, that's a good. Compromise. Sit down, form a strategy, and release the por- uh, release portions of it. The old school method that was put forward by the persons that created and were really the cornerstone of building this behavior analysis team of the FBI, that being Robert Ressler and John Douglas and uh, Roy Hazelwood, and the list goes on and on of Ann Burgess, of all these great people, pioneers in this in this uh, world of new detecting, they believed that you want to inform the public as much as possible and use the public as a weapon against the offender. And so I think that you probably could release portions of it, but here's where this is 100% a misstep in my mind. Okay. So now we're going to get into the real psychological stuff of what we're looking at. What we're looking at its simplest form is a serial offender. Okay. No doubt. A person that commits a series of similar types of crimes over and over and over again. Now, not all investigators know to do this, but what you should be doing in these types of cases and the people that have had great success in finding and making the arrest and getting their guy would tell you is that you're looking for two things. You're looking for a mistake, which you always look for in any case, in any investigation, a mistake made by the criminal while committing the offense. But here you're looking for a mistake made by the killer and or a signature. Okay. So why would you be looking for a signature? Because you could just read the guy's name. John Smith did it. What would be a lot of people get confused when it comes to talking about modus operandi, MO versus signature. There is a clear difference. However, sometimes it's not so clear what that difference is. Well, why don't you teach us, you drunken buffoon professor colonel? So many serial offenders have been known to vary their M.O. They may do that because circumstances at the time of the offense force them to. Right. Or they are trying to fool police by changing tactics, or sometimes they will change or vary their M.O. for both reasons. One thing that does not change is a killer's signature. A serial killer signature is identified by the specific psychological need or needs that murdering people fulfills for the offender. So right. to put it more in more simple form, I like I like the way that John Douglas describes it in one of his publications. From the great words and wisdom of John Douglas. And here he's talking about I want everybody to think back to the great movie Silence of the Lambs. Was right? she a big fat and person? In its most simple form, the breakdown between M.O. versus signature, he says it like this. He's talking about the killer in the movie Buffalo Bill. He says, while using an arm cast and a sling to abduct women is a modus operandi, killing and flaying the women to use their skins is not. The term I coined to describe that was signature, because like a signature, it is a personal detail that is unique to the individual. The M.O. 
is what the offender does to affect the crime. The signature, in a sense, is why he does it. The thing that fulfills him emotionally, sometimes there can be a fine line between M.O. and signature. Now let's take that a step further. We right. talked about why would you be looking for a mistake? Well, you're always looking for a mistake committed by the criminal while committing the offense. They they commit, they accidentally do something wrong or or perform a mistake, and that is going to lead you to your offender. But in serial cases, you're also looking for that signature. Why? Because the signature aspect of the crime is so important. We can begin to fill in much of the rest of the offender's personality and predict the offender's recognizable post-offense behavior from this one insight. If you can determine what this killer's signature is, then that will give you indicators of what to expect from his post-offense behavior. You know, the interview we did on Off the Record with and with the great Ann Burgess, she is amazing, incredibly brilliant when it comes to having insight and being able to predict offenders' post-offense behavior. What you're talking about, Captain, is exactly spot on. Well, of course, my good friend. You can, the public the neighbors of the killer, the family members of the killer, the friends of the killer can tell us, Hey, this guy that I know, I think he's up to no good because the post offense behavior that you predicted, he's doing that. He's behaving that way. This is sending off a red flag to me. This told me to notify you ring ring. Hello. And what you do see, what we did see as far as the Delphi case goes they released very small portions of the offender profile. What they did release a large portion of, if not in its entirety, is what they expected may be the post-offense behavior of the offender. Now, keep in mind, this is just a tool used by law enforcement. This is not a roadmap leading you directly to Jackson Brown, the killer. Um, obviously, Jackson Brown's not the killer, but I, I, I still... Uh, would find it incredibly ironic if Jack the Knife was closer than we think. What also makes me wonder, uh, again, with the profile, if they came out and said, well, look, we think late teens or early 20s, and not just based off of the build, but maybe based off certain actions, mm-hmm. again, maybe would have somebody perk up their ears and go, oh, I know this guy. That kind of seemed a little funny. I would also say because... When they said, hey, we're putting out patrol officers, but we're also putting out people in plain clothes. We're putting officers out in plain clothes. That obviously scared this individual because as far as we know, there has been no attacks after the 4th. Yeah, something has either stopped him, which maybe he was arrested for an offense that they did not connect to these murders or these attacks. That seems to be a high probability, I believe. If he is living a high-risk lifestyle, which which a lot of times these serial killers are, um, no matter what walk of life they come from. But so he, he could have passed away, um, could have been arrested for another offense, or he could have been spooked and stopped just out of the fear of being caught. You know, that's what a lot of people speculate when we talk about the Zodiac killer. 
the last known confirmed attack of the Zodiac killer, the cab driver, Paul Stein, was as close as it came, as far as we know, for the Zodiac to get caught. And a lot of people speculate that it spooked him so much, he was so close to getting caught that he stopped or completely changed what he was doing or moved to another area and changed what he was doing. And AY Magazine openly discusses that briefly too. You know, they say, where is he now? Where is the slasher now? Right. Is he already in police custody on other charges or maybe he's moved on or maybe he's passed you on the streets today and they say, this is how they end the article. It's a great article. Don't worry unless you too are a creature of the night. Back to victimology here a little bit, Captain. And you've talked about this and we've talked about this before, but because most of our victims fall into one or several of these categories that they're elderly, poor, or homeless, a lot of times in cases like this, people like this fall into what is very tastelessly referred to as the undead category because they are commonly targets for violent criminals due to the fact that the criminal likely believes that no one or very little people will care if they vanish. This is how many other serial killers have been able to procure so many victims before they ever appear on the police or the public's radar bothers me. I know it bothers you. I know it bothers a ton of people on the true crime community that some of the, the popularity of these cases are based on the status of the victim. And it just, it's sad. Well, because we I, have, we have three dead victims, mm-hmm. one that barely survived. Mm-hmm. And, they deserve our respect. They deserve answers. Whether they have family members or friends, you know, protesting on the streets or doing interviews or, or whatever, or if they have none, they didn't deserve to be murdered, not by this psycho. Well, and here's the thing, too, that's strange in this case. And, and the thing is, Look, police scrutiny, okay, warranted or otherwise, you are always going to have police scrutiny when a crime goes unsolved. And in particular, you're going to have a mountain of it when a serial killer is in the area. And so there's been a good heaping uh, of of police scrutiny in this case. Now, I'm going to go on the flip side of that coin and say this. I'm going to give some praise to Chief Humphrey. I'm going to give some praise to the Little Rock Police Department simply for making the announcement that they believe they have a serial killer, a serial knife attacker in the area. Yeah, because some because some law enforcement wouldn't do that because they right. know the heat that it will bring onto them. They'll know they also know that that the media Sometimes we'll have a field day with that. It's like underlining and pointing out to the public, hey, you pay us and expect us to protect and serve. And here's a prime example that we can't do that. We have this one guy running around stabbing and killing people. But here, you got to at least pat them on the back for bringing it to the public's attention. Because in so many cases, Captain, you know this, we've seen this a dozen times where it feels like police detectives or police chiefs 
are in uh, in front of a camera or in front of reporters, and they seem to dodge the question of a serial killer being active in the area, actively hunting prey in the area by saying some simply as, well, until we can confirm that these murders are all related, we are not willing to say that we have a serial killer in the area. There's nothing wrong with going, I, look, you don't want to get out there and you do not want to paint this picture that 100% these cases are absolutely connected. You can't do that from a prosecutorial angle. Meaning that if you arrest a guy later and you can absolutely through evidence connect him to one or two of these cases, but not the other two, you've kind of dug yourself a hole when you get to the court and you now have to tell a jury, yeah, I know we were telling you for two years, all four cases were absolutely connected. Here's a guy, we're only charging him with two of them. And now we know he didn't do the other two. Now you get a jury that's conflicted. So you don't want to you don't want to rubber stamp these things and say 100% they are all connected. But I think from a safety, a public safety standpoint, right. you they did the right it, thing. You owe it to them to say, "Look, this is what our suspicion is and we have reason to believe that they are likely, those are their words, likely all connected. Be on the lookout. Don't be walking the streets between 1 and 4 or 5 a.m. by yourself. Don't do that, especially in this highly dangerous area." And again, they were kind enough and did did the right thing by putting a, for lack of a better term, what I call a murder map on this public service announcement. They're showing you a map of your city. Here is the area that we are primarily concerned with. Here is the area where all of these attacks took place. Do so you have four stabbings that occurred within a three-mile area? With the easternmost attack taking place a few blocks from Main Street and the westernmost taking place near the 12th Street substation for the police department. What's great with looking into these cases and what you learn, especially from seven years of looking into these cases together, you know, we differ on on a lot of points. Um, and there's definitely things that I think law enforcement could do more in this case to lead to more leads but i i, I do agree it, it it's better for them to come out and say hey these are possibly connected this is the location and during these time periods or any other time be on the lookout for this individual and keep yourself safe law enforcement encourages us to have and form things like a neighborhood watch and i love when I see a police department, and again, I do not live in Little Rock. So if there's problems with the police department, I've not experienced those. All I'm basing this off of is what I'm seeing here in this one case in particular. And I am, I'm glad that I think they did the right thing by their people to warn them. I like when I see police behaving in a manner that you would a neighborhood watch informing their citizens, informing the police and saying, hey, it's not lost on us that you are at risk right now. Have each other's backs. Be safe. Yeah. Well, just think about how much better law enforcement would be if they just live by the simple things or the simple code of serve and protect. And by making this announcement, you are trying to protect. There's a video, well, several videos on YouTube under uh, a group called the snarky media group. 
that seems to be keeping an eye on all things Little Rock. Now, I've not reviewed all of their videos, and I have never lived in Little Rock, so I have no way of knowing if they are offering up an unbiased opinion here, but I can certainly say that they are snarky, that they are watching, right? They are watching over Little Rock. They are reporting and offering up a lot of opinions along the way. One of their statements is, quote, since our last video about the Little Rock slasher, we have obtained more information about Little Rock Police Department and the mayor refusing to provide transparency about the status of the Little Rock slasher investigation. They've done some investigating themselves, and and this could be an interesting lead here. Take it with a grain of salt, because we we can't confirm how great this organization's work is, other than they've posted a lot of YouTube videos on a lot of different matters concerning the city of Little Rock over the years. But one of their social media posts I found to be incredibly interesting. It says, since Little Rock PD has shown little to no concern about several reports made to them that the Little Rock slasher possibly lives on 19th Street, we are posting this information in the hope that it can prevent future incidents. This is something they posted May 4th of 2021. And they go on to say multiple residents of the area have related information to us that the individual has pulled a knife on them and they state he is known in the neighborhood as the stalker and goes by the street name juggler residents state that he is the individual that stabbed the woman who survived the little rock slasher attack. They go on this snarky media goes on to say, we know his legal name, but are refraining from publishing it at this time. The person of interest previously lived in a boarding house near MLK, which is Martin Luther King Avenue or street. And that is a street that is in this area, this very neighborhood that we've been discussing, this three mile area where the attacks have occurred. They go on to say he pulled a knife on another resident and was kicked out of this boarding house. He moved to the boarding house closer to Marshall, which is one of the streets that we talked about. One individual reported that they saw Little Rock Police Department cops at the 19th Street boarding house talking to this person of interest recently. Again, this is May of 2021. This particular portion of 19th Street is known to be a hotbed of crime by law enforcement. So it seems like they believe that at one time they had a hot lead or may have even known the killer's name. If, in fact, they are on to something here, I've... This is one thing that I've wondered about the serial slasher here in Little Rock is what is in tr- what is triggering these attacks? Because he's not going out night after night after night unless he's going out every night and just not finding the right circumstances or the right scenario and choosing not to attack. I think that if he's out running the streets every night, he'd probably be caught by now. Yeah, I agree, because in every single case, we don't have all these eyewitnesses even if this individual wasn't out every night, but they were out multiple times a week hunting, I think we'd just have more eyewitnesses coming forward saying that I, I saw somebody that matches that description. Yeah. And I have to believe that if they're not, they should be that these boarding houses are, are keeping some kind of lodging records who is staying with them when, or at the very least who they are kicking out and when and why. 
So if this individual has been kicked out out of out of several boarding houses as this statement from Snarky that they put on social media states, is that the trigger? Is that why this killer is out on the streets at night, some nights and not other nights? That he's gotten to some kind of verbal or physical altercation with somebody at a boarding house, a resident or someone in charge and has been booted out. And then he goes out onto the streets and takes out his anger on people of a similar walk of life. Something is triggering this killer on certain days and not triggering him at other times. And I think if they can identify that trigger, then that is going to be how they can identify this killer and find out who is responsible. Yeah. I'd like to know from the surviving victim, if she smelled alcohol on the killer's breath, here's my other suspicion is that I don't know that all of these attacks are 100% random. I'm not saying that these individuals were targeted. What I'm saying is I believe out of the four attacks that I think there would be a decent probability that the killer knew one of these people. Or had run-ins with all four. I mean, think about that. This person lives in the neighborhood. They have a run-in with the individual. And then they they go later on when they're still stewing about that interaction or, or whatever that they went, okay, I'm going to go find that individual today. Well, I'm glad that you said the words stewing and find, because that leads me to my suspicion about our killer. So when I say that, I think there's a chance that this killer knew one of the victims. We can really shrink that down to only a couple of possibilities, right? Our first victim lived, or at least is reported to have lived two and a half hours away. There's a very it's a much less likelihood that the killer knew him. He's found on foot, lives two and a half hours away. The third victim who survives says a stranger attacked me on the street. She identifies him by description, but does not identify him by name. So that leaves us with only two other possibilities. The second victim who did not survive and the fourth victim who did not survive. What is different between those two victims? The difference is with the fourth victim And you said it, stewing. You said it, find. The only attack that we are aware of that he was unsuccessful when he went out looking for someone to kill. Because with with an attack that's so quick and maybe so random, is that the one true signature here to finish the job? The thing that fulfills him is the killing itself rather than the attack. And when he knew or found out that Deborah Walker survived that night. Was he determined to go out into the night the following night? And no matter what, he had to come away with the victim that he was successful in carrying out the actual murder. And what would an individual do in that circumstance? He's likely going to go where he knows he can find a victim and score. And if that's the case, it's not out of the realm of possibility to believe that he may have known that fourth and final victim. This is a dangerous individual, but we have them on surveillance footage. We have people in the neighborhood that are identifying an individual as a suspect or at least a person that should be a person of interest. 
this is a solvable crime. I believe it would already have been solved if the community got behind this and talked more about this and plastered those images all over the internet and all over their community. But this is a solvable crime. All right, beautiful people. Thank you so much for joining us here in the garage. Thanks for coming in, relaxing, having a couple sips, maybe a couple brews, maybe a whole bottle of wine. Nobody's judging here. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? We do. This week we are recommending one of the very best true crime books ever written by one of my very favorite true crime authors. You know, we're talking about a case in Arkansas, so it made me think of other Arkansas cases. And this is one that we have certainly recommended before, and we will recommend it again because it's just that good. The Devil's Knot by the one and only Mara Leverett. If you follow the West Memphis case on a hardcore level, you already own this book. This book is no doubt the cornerstone for HBO's Paradise Lost 2 revelations, but so much more detailed than what the documentary could go into. There are often times that I swear that the solution to that incredibly troubling case is in the pages of Mara Leverett's The Devil's Knot. Make sure you check out The Devil's Knot by Mara Leverett. You can find that title, that great title, and many more wonderful recommendations on our recommended page on our website, truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't live. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.